You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. Your host, Kevin Ostreicher, here with you. And for this Thursday episode, we have a special treat. Spencer, it's good to have you back on. Spencer Schultz joins us from Baltimore Beatdown. How are you doing, Spencer? Doing fantastic, Kevin. Glad to be on as usual. Uh, another week closer to some NFL action. Good news around the league is, you know, restrictions are being lifted a little bit. It looks like most teams are going to be able to get some of their staff back in their building and get geared up to go. Training camp won't start uh, typically until mid to late July, depending on team preference. So another six weeks from now, we'll be in the midst of training camp and uh, things will be going full tilt again. So we'll have a lot more fun and more content to cover. Yeah, it's just, you know, little step after little step and hopefully – each step we're taking here, both with sports and with the world, gets us closer to both the sports world coming back and the world coming back is, you know, as close to what it was in general. But Spencer, talking about the Ravens and getting into that content, I think one of the bigger pieces of news that has come out over the past week or so is that the Ravens were either in discussions or have been rumored to be in discussions with the New York Jets surrounding star safety Jamal Adams. And now going back towards the trade deadline, the Ravens seem to be interested as well. And actually, there were rumors that they put together an offer for him, and the Jets obviously decided not to move him. Now with this new news coming out, you know, there were players and teams and organizations who would love to have Jamal Adams on their team. But does this move make sense for the Ravens if it were to happen? Yeah, I believe it absolutely makes sense. Adams is just yet another matchup player. He can cover tight ends. He can cover running backs. He can mirror running backs in the hole. Um, one of the best blitzing safeties I've ever seen. I think the only one in my lifetime, to be honest, even though Adams is only going into his fourth year, is probably Brian Dawkins. As effective as a blitzing, consistent blitzing force. I guess maybe Troy Palomalu comes to mind as well. But Palomalu didn't blitz quite as much as those two do. Jamal Adams is like a almost like an edge rusher the way he can rush the passer. So having a guy that can play single high, play too high, uh, play in the box, play in the slot, do all of those things. He's, you know, been highly effective in every single way. He is a sound tackler. He's a playmaker, um, an impact player overall. He's one of the few guys I've ever seen stuck out wide with Rob Gronkowski. And if you go watch NFL Game Pass, which is free, I believe, through the end of June, if I'm not mistaken, to anyone if you watch Game Pass, there's a 16-minute breakdown with Brian Baldinger and uh, Ron Jaworski, Jaws, who go into detail, and Jamal Adams just kind of dissects things that he did, and you can tell how intelligent of a player he is and the way that he played, for instance, Rob Gronkowski. He said, you know, Gronk is going to want to get physical with you, and you're going to lose a physical battle with Rob 95% of the time. I'm not going to put my hands on him. I'm going to run away from him until the ball gets there, and then I'm going to go make a play on it. And you watch him go do that a few times and able to really bully Rob Gronkowski uh, through finesse. So he's able to play with power, able to play with finesse in the box, up high, all those different kinds of things. And while I think some Ravens fans say, oh, well, we have Chuck Clark, Chuck Clark's a fine player. And I don't think you need to get rid of Chuck Clark um, or Earl Thomas necessarily to acquire a player like Adams. Adams does want a new contract, absolutely. But you can also tell that he wants to be somewhere where he's wanted, somewhere where he's in a competitive environment. Um, and the New York Jets are not that as much as they like to try to sign, you know, Patrick Owasso and uh, all the guys that the Ravens have gotten rid of. They're, they're trying to emulate what the Ravens do, but they're in the very early stages of that. And having him come into a completely different culture. I mean, Adam Gaze and John Harbaugh could not be more different. So I think Adams would be willing to, you know, maybe take the Jalen Ramsey backseat if he's going to a good place that wants him 
And, you know, I'm more than willing to part with a first round pick if I know that I can get at least two years of Jamal Adams. And for some reason that it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. But to me, what is the hit rate on a late first round pick? You know, you can't always get Patrick Queen at, you know, the end of the first round. That doesn't always happen. How many times have we seen the Ravens trade out of the first round or make these different trades? So I don't believe it's the end of the world to trade a first round pick. And particularly you have Lamar Jackson on a rookie contract. Take advantage of that. And, you know, trading one first round pick away isn't exactly doing what the Los Angeles Rams did, trading two for Ramsey and, you know, two here, two there for Brandon Cooks and all these other players. But I definitely believe that trading draft capital can be highly effective in terms of getting a young player that is currently cheap, is going to be a little bit more expensive. But Jamal Adams is one of, if not the best safeties in football right now, and he would be a damn good addition to that Ravens defense. And you have to think that is a piece that takes them over the top to the point where they're not going to fall short of an AFC championship game. An injury is not going to hurt them in the secondary quite that much. Um, they would be invincible in the secondary and defending the pass, being able to pass the ball, being able to have efficient offenses is the recipe to getting to a Super Bowl. And I think that Jamal Adams puts an exclamation point on that. And I think that the Ravens should capitalize on a Super Bowl window with a rookie quarterback contract and do it. Yeah, and you mentioned giving up a first-round pick, and I think that when you have first-round picks and draft these players, you want them to turn into guys like Jamal Adams, and you want them to have that effect. Now, yes, Adams is going to have to get paid a little bit closer to you know the Lamar Jackson window, I guess, in terms of, you know, as opposed to a other first-round pick where you have four or five years of that control. But still, Adams has just ascended into, you're, you're right, one of the best safeties in the league, if not the best. And having him on this Ravens defense is already stacked. I mean, it, w- it would do wonders and really make this defense invincible, unstoppable. I mean, whatever you want to call it. But you mentioned, you know, not having to give up Chuck Clark, not having to give up Earl Thomas. If Jamal Adams were to come in by a way of trade and those guys weren't part of the package, how would you kind of envision this Ravens defense looking? It would be outstanding. The Ravens used three safeties on around 40% of snaps last year already. It would push guys like Anthony Levine deeper onto the bench, obviously, and things like that. But, um, I mean, injuries happen. That is the thing that most commonly gets forgotten in May when we're on paper and before training camp and before ACLs start snapping left and right and guys are getting concussed and this, that, and the other. Um, It happens. Ravens have been kind of, you know, fortunate as opposed to the early 2010s. The last couple of years, they've been really healthy. And when you come playoff time, the teams that are there were usually pretty healthy and the teams that aren't, that were supposed to be there are usually pretty beat up, pretty injured. The Chargers seem to be injured every single year and and limited despite having a really great roster on paper. Um, So I believe that that would be incredible. And, you know, the Ravens have more roster cap flexibility than people realize. They can move some things around with Marcus Peters' contract, convert some of his money around a little bit. And Jamal Adams' cap hit, if traded to the Ravens, would only be $3.5 million. The Jets would have to eat half of his 2020 cap hit, which is $3.6 million. The Ravens would have to pay his salary of $3.5 million. So, I mean, if you can get Adams, if you can resist, you know, if he wants to get traded to a better organization, simply, I don't think there's much of a revelation that the Ravens are a better organization than the Jets. Um, That's no slight to the Jets and and their fans or anything, but Ravens are just more consistent right now. And I think you can get Adams in a situation similar to Jalen Ramsey, who wanted out of Jacksonville really badly and was willing to put off that extension to be around a good organization, a successful organization, uh, and, and know that he's going to get that money eventually. Uh, another high draft pick, you know, Jalen Ramsey, top of the first round, Jamal Adams, top of the first round. They're not Matt Judon, who was drafted late in the draft and has 
a third of the career earnings as a first year rookie that's in the first round. So um, they have a little bit more leverage, a little bit more comfortable, and they want to be valued. And if he feels the Jets mistreat him, Baltimore is a place that does not mistreat uh, their players. They've been honest. They've had a stellar reputation. We even saw Tony Jefferson, who was cut by the Ravens this year, telling Jamal Adams on Instagram, you know, that's the place for you. That's a great place. They, 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 you would fit right in. You're exactly what they want. Blah, 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 blah. That is the kind of stuff that makes a player happy, uh, fulfilled, and excited to go somewhere else when they're in a crappy situation. Yeah, I think Adams would be a good fit not only for the team and the personnel, but also for the culture. He really does have that winning mentality. And Spencer, when when you try to imagine up a deal, you've mentioned a first-round pick that the Ravens could surrender for Chuck Clark, or for not for Chuck Clark, for Jamal Adams, that you would be willing to give up with the Ravens in their current window, with the future in mind. What's your ideal package for Baltimore? I would send a 2021 first-round pick and preferably like a 2022 third-round pick and that has been the asking price from the Jets, apparently a first and a third. And a third, two years out, is really like a fourth uh, in the way of trade compensation and things like that. But the reason being, and that there is definitely a flip side to this argument, and I can be completely wrong depending on the situation. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But with Lamar Jackson in his third year and fourth year, where he's extremely cheap still before he hits the fifth year option, He's going to jump up a little bit and probably sign a bo- an extension that has a bonus related that's going to tie down a little bit more cap in his fifth year. You have the ability to either have Jamal Adams or a first-round pick. Which one do you think is going to contribute more, a late first-round pick or Jamal Adams? In those two seasons, it is exponentially going to be Jamal Adams, probably 10 times out of 10. I mean, maybe you get a wide receiver or something of the sort, but there's just so much variance, so much luck involved, so much randomness. And all of those things, Ravens draft really well. That's great. But is a rookie really going to contribute in your Super Bowl window more than Jamal Adams? And is getting rid of one first round pick doing what the Rams did? No. Is it selling the farm? No, it is not. And another, you know, early mid round pick, something of the sort. Um, so I think that trying to go all in on a Super Bowl window without selling the farm is entirely possible by sending maybe a 2021 first and a 2022 third. Yeah, I think that's very reasonable. And and for having Jamal Adams, that player, you know, the talent that Jamal Adams is, I think that that's a win for the Ravens, definitely. But looking at the Ravens' young guys, guys who they have selected over the past few years, it seems like everybody has started to kind of unite. And with the virus, it's been kind of hard to get everybody in one place. But it seems like guys like Miles Blinken are going to go down to Florida and start to Work out with Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown. And with the Joe Flacco era, people have been kind of comparing the Lamar Jackson, the Joe Flacco eras. There weren't a lot of private workouts with players that Joe Flacco held. Lamar Jackson obviously has a different mentality. Just how important is it, Spencer, to have all these guys get together before the season starts and get on the same page? The talent is there. The work ethic is there. I'm sure Joe Flacco kept himself in shape, kept his arm in shape, all of those things. But the difference is, you know, the Ravens have invested in weapons a little bit more, and maybe that was a turnoff for Flacco kind of losing some of his weapons, but I don't really recall him doing that when he had, you know, Torrey Smith, Anquan Bolden, and those guys. I always know that that was the rumor back in the day in, like, 2009, 2010. Is Flacco going to get done in the offseason? They didn't end up doing it. We'll be fine at camp, all of those things. But having the talent is one thing, but establishing chemistry, especially in the passing game, where there's so much timing, so much anticipation, so much I'm looking at cover two, you need to be looking at cover two, seeing the same thing, being on the same page in the NFL, the way routes are run in advanced football levels, whether it's, you know, SEC, Big Ten, and then all the way up through the NFL and 
the best passing teams, you know, go look at Tom Brady and the way that the New England Patriots offense functioned. You don't just go run a slant. It's not like, all right, I'm, I'm going to this play was called. I'm running a slant here. Leverage is everything. I you know, you can break off into four different routes depending on what you see. And the quarterback and the receiver have to be on the same page. So the more conversations that they have, the more on-field time they put together, the more they're going to be on the same page, the more trust is going to be established. And you saw trust with Mark Andrews, who just kind of said, "Me, hey, me and Lamar Jackson have the best chemistry. I don't know what it is, but we just see the field the same way. All right, maybe those guys don't need a ton of time. They already have that. Hollywood Brown seemed to have that with Lamar to an extent. There was a little bit room, more room to grow, maybe in the deep passing game, some of those deeper targets that kind of sailed a little bit at times, but with guys like Miles Boykin, Willie Sneed, the rookies, Duvernay, Prochet, all those guys, even the backs that split out wide, getting that timing together, seeing the field the same way is going to pay volumes. It is imperative that you go work out with your quarterback, do all of that good stuff. And I mean, that's why we see wide receivers that are playing in seven on seven when they're in high school, you know, year round almost and doing those kinds of things, working on the passing game are so much more advanced now. And so are quarterbacks then as opposed to 10, 15 years ago when those seven on seven and those off season leagues weren't as prevalent, you're able to work on spacing, work on timing, work on anticipation, work on the way you see the field and all of those things. So it's imperative. And I feel like it's going to be huge as opposed to if they didn't do that. And, and again, the way that Lamar Jackson throws the ball just with the eye test to Mark Andrews or Hollywood Brown, there's usually no hesitation. He'll put zip on it. He'll put float on it. He'll, you know, the mechanics are just mindless. It's effortless. All of it's clean. Some of the targets to Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, some of the other guys at times, you know, a little hesitation, a little off, you know, a little miss here and there. And getting together with those guys is going to decrease those errors and increase the accuracy and the timing and all those great things. So I think it's awesome they're all getting together, and I think it'll help out a lot in the immediate future. Yeah, I think with the Ravens and with this offense in particular, they had such a historic year in 2019. But I think you're right, getting these guys together and making sure that they're all on the same page, especially with all the stuff with the viruses going around, getting everybody together and not knowing when training camps and and all these other things with the team at the facility are going to start. It, I think it's going to prove a ton when it comes to the you know week one, the regular season, and just the chemistry that all these guys are going to have. But we're going to head into our first break now. When we return, we're going to be start talking about positional battles, and we're going to get into the offensive side of the ball first. So stay tuned, and we will be back soon. But before we do that, you know what time it is. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They're tasty. They're healthy. They have 16 different flavors, 8 in the chocolate and nut flavor, and 8 in the chocolate and nut free flavors, plus four more new flavors, which you should go check out. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. You can lose or maintain weight while being able to indulge in a delicious treat. So they're great for the health-conscious person. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off of your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the second segment of this Thursday edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostreicher is still here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. And Spencer, as we kind of get into some positional battles, I think starting off, you know, the quarterback position, there aren't going to be a lot of positional battles there. There's only one quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens right now, and that is Lamar Jackson. But you go down the list, the running backs, there are now four quality running backs on this roster at the moment. And from what Eric DeCoste has been saying, four quality running backs that are going to make the roster and get ample playing time, each of them. Now, how much playing time each of them gets I think that's the question that everybody wants to know. And Spencer, I want to hear your opinion on just how you think this running back depth chart and the playing time is going to shake out. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what I already mentioned was, you know, injuries do happen. So that could end up being a factor, whether it's in training camp or a little bit uh, early into the season, things like that. But looking at the four running backs that they have, they have Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram was outstanding. He exceeded expectations. He had maybe the best production for value of any free agent in the 2019 free agent pool, uh, considering 15 touchdowns, over 1,000 yards. What he was able to do as a runner, as a receiver, all those things, five receiving touchdowns. Um, so he, you know, has that veteran presence, has that confidence. He got banged up a little bit. He's a little bit older. You want to keep the tread on the tires. Um, so maybe you want to, you know, make sure he's available in the fourth quarter a little bit more than the first quarter. Or maybe even looking at it game by game that way or by the season. Make sure he's alive and well in the second half of the season, after the bye, into the playoffs and things like that. We saw the way the offense struggled when they didn't trust Gus Edwards enough. Of, uh, that's the only explanation. Uh, and then couldn't lean on Mark Ingram and then ended up dropping back to pass, you know, over 60 times, including sacks. So that was, you know, a little preview of kind of why they end up maybe drafting J.K. Dobbins as well and not necessarily trusting Justice Hill yet or trusting Gus Edwards. And the thing about J.K. Dobbins is that he kind of consolidates what Gus Edwards does, what Justice Hill does into one player. So you've got to think that J.K. Dobbins is going to get a lot of touches. So it really comes down to Justice Hill and Gus Edwards vying to really be in that rotation versus not. And from what we've seen, Justice Hill can split out wide, run routes, uh, not great in pass pro, not, you know, crazy physical the way that Ingram and Dobbins and Gus Edwards are, but a little more finesse. And he is able to run between the tackles. He did absolutely steamroll a couple of defenders uh, on some touches that he had in the regular season. And the Ravens invested a draft pick in him. So uh, you got to think that, you know, they like what they have in Hill. He provides a lot in the passing game. And then it's just difficult because Gus Edwards, by a wide margin, according to PFF, led all NFL running backs that had over 100 touches in percentage of runs that went for a first down or a touchdown. I mean, Gus Edwards is a first down machine. He is a second and one, second and three, third and two machine. Gets downhill. 89% of his runs were not stuffed, meaning that he gained yardage of some sort past the line of scrimmage, which is the highest rate in the league as well. Um, so he's done outstanding things as that power downhill back. And then you go ahead and hear Eric DaCosta saying we're going to use four backs. I kind of believe him there. So it might be, you know, Hill and Edwards kind of vying to make sure one of them's in the rotation a little bit more. And we'll see. Edwards has room to grow in the pass pro department as well. Hill, you know, was a work in progress during his time at Oklahoma State. Um, but, you know, a team that runs the ball more than any other team in the NFL could very well use four running backs. And you go look at the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, they kind of do something similar there. They used Mostert. They used Tevin Coleman. They wanted to use McKinnon. They had a lot of backs. They had Breida. A lot of backs they wanted to use. So it is possible to work four backs in the rotation. But it just feels like a, a two-horse race for the most part with Ingram and then Dobbins. While Dobbins is there, going to want to maximize his usage early on and kind of beat him up. Uh, as being a running back in the Ravens system is easy in one way. That way is that on the read option stuff, uh, you might get a completely clean look and two yards of momentum where because of Lamar Jackson, or you might get completely laid out by an unblocked defensive end while Lamar Jackson skates onto the sideline. So the Ravens ask a lot from their running backs. Running backs are very important in this offense. So I do think there is a place for all four guys. Yeah, and I think that's where the pick of Dobbins really comes to fruition for Baltimore. And it's really all part of this plan where you want to, you're right, maximize 
the use of these running backs and make sure that we, you know, with the different skill sets that each have, they can do damage in this offense. But looking towards the wide receivers next, Spencer, it seems like the Ravens want to go and trust their young guys. Uh, I've mentioned before the oldest guys in that room are Willie Seed and Anthony Thomas. Both are 27 years old. When you look at the Ravens in their wide receiver room, obviously Hollywood Brown is going to get quite a bit of looks. And we look at Miles Boykin, they want him to take that jump, and I'm sure he's going to get a bunch of playing time too. But where does this depth chart for the wide receiver really go? Who's going to get the playing time? Who might get a little bit less playing time that people might expect? For me, it, it's looking like they are putting a lot of stock in a Devin DuVernay, and I feel like he's a player they're going to want to manufacture some touches. They really like what he can do with the ball in his hands. Um, then past that, I mean, if Devin DuVernay is playing a lot, that means Willie Sneed is playing a little bit less. And Sneed has proven to be a consistent blocker. He can, you know, he's a decent first down creator. Um, he played an, he played a boundary position a little bit more in New Orleans and, and really moved exclusively into the slot with the Ravens a lot more. And I've seen Willie Sneed tweet out some things saying, you know, he's going to be moving back to the boundary a little bit because outside of Boykin, you know, Hollywood can play inside or outside universally. He has that skill set. You can't press him. So that means you can go anywhere. But Willie Sneed could potentially take a little bit more reps on the outside while they work Duvernay into the slot and then pass those first four. The, the following guys then are Chris Moore, uh, James Prochet and Jaleel Scott, it feels like. And maybe a little bit of Antoine Wesley as well, depending on how he's able to fare in training camp. And for me, it feels like Prochet, they might like what he can do as a returner. He could very well push DeAnthony Thomas off of the team. Um, Chris Moore, they love what he can do on special teams as well. But can another player, whether it's a receiver or not, step up and kind of do some of those things? We'll see. The Ravens do value what he can do as a gunner as well as a returner, very much so. Uh, but they just don't like him as a receiver enough to really carry that kind of weight. They're going to want to expand this passing game. They really only have, you know, Mark Andrews is essentially a receiver. Hayden Hurst is gone. So you got to think those touches are going to go somewhere and probably not to a third tight end necessarily, uh, unless a uh, Jacob Breeland or Charles Scarf can emerge. But it feels like they're going to rely on their receivers a little bit more. And the guy who probably is going to get cut is going to be Chris Moore and or Jaleel Scott. Those guys are on the outside looking in potentially uh, depending on how things go. And, I know that the camp and the organization really liked what Antoine Wesley was able to do last year. Uh, the other receivers talk about him in a very uh, positive manner as well. So he's a guy that could also be on the bubble to move up while Moore and Scott could be on the way out. Yeah, a lot of sneaky depth and a lot of good young pieces in this Ravens receiving room that I think could really contribute not only in 2020, but really down the line as well. Some names people might not be as familiar with could really have prominent roles as we look toward the future. But Spencer, looking at the interior offensive line, obviously the Ravens have plenty of choices and it's arguable that, you know, three, the, all three positions could be up for grabs. When you look at the interior offensive line, I know I asked you a bit about it, but when you look at the Ravens interior, who do you think ends up winning the starting jobs and who's on the outside looking in? If I had to guess what opening day will look like uh, as far as week one offensive line, I would go Stanley, obviously. Um, I think I'm going to take Bredesen there. Then I would probably go Skura. And I still think Ben Powers. I think a lot of people have anointed DJ Fluker because he's a veteran. But DJ Fluker has not exactly excelled at any point in the last five years. He is at his very best on a good day. He is an average guard. He is not consistent. He allowed pressure, I believe, on 3% of pass plays. It was like 111 out of 119 offensive interior offensive linemen last year. 
Um, so he is one that I think has gotten kind of anointed from the signing, but he got a veteran minimum deal and feels like a safe piece that they could end up replace. Let's say Ben Powers takes over at right guard. They don't like what they see. They bring in Fluker. They know Fluker might be a little bit more reliable as a veteran, uh, something of that sort. But I also feel like Bradley Bozeman, you know, isn't necessarily an effective guard, a quality guard while he can play guard. Um, so for me, it's it's difficult. It's a really big mix up between these guys. This is a very murky water, but I feel like Bredesen, from what I've seen on tape, is really able to hand himself. He's versatile um, and going to excel as he carries into the NFL. Guy who has a ton of experience at Michigan. You know, he wasn't a one year starter. He was starting from the time he was a freshman. Uh, so I, I think Bredesen is able to come in and provide more of an actual guard skill set and ability and understanding than Bradley Bozeman, who is certainly very athletically limited in comparison. Um, and then Bozeman maybe ends up playing center if Matt Skura is not ready, but from what Skura has been posting and, and showing and, and talking about, feels like he's going to be ready uh, by the time. But maybe we end up seeing Skura on the pup list and come off halfway through the year and provide depth to something of the sort, in which case, you know, then it's Macari and Bozeman all of a sudden. But it's a good problem to have. The Ravens over-address the interior offensive line position. Um, I don't I don't know a ton about Tyree Phillips playing guard. I didn't see him play guard. Um, saw him as a tackle. He feels like, you know, a James Hurst-type piece that could end up being a swingman and playing that guard position as well. So um, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I, if I had to put money on it, I would think that it's going to be Bredesen, Skura, and Powers manning the interior as uh, DJ Fluker, you know, is ready to take over for one if they don't succeed early on. Yeah, uh, that's my that's my group as well. And I think that when you look at Fluker, you know, also a tackle, I think he can play tackle as well. So maybe he can be a swing guy as well for this team. But you mentioned the veteran minimum deal. So not a total loss that the Ravens end up deciding to move on. But I, I do think that they want some form of a veteran, you know, in that interior offensive line room. And especially with there not being a ton of tackle depth as well, I think Baltimore just needs that veteran presence. But we're going to head into our final break here. And when we get back, we're going to be flipping the field and talking about that defense. So stay tuned and we will be back soon. And we are back with our final segment of this Locked on Ravens episode here on a Thursday. Kevin Oshiker still talking with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, we just talked about the offensive positional battles, but now getting into the defense, there's so much depth on this defense. And I think I want to start off with the defensive line and even going forward and looking at the interior, because you look at that and you see Calais Campbell get added and you see Derek Wolf get added. You see the Ravens bring back guys like Justin Ellis, Jihad Ward. They draft Justin Metabuike and, and Broderick Washington. They have De La Mech. There are so many pieces. How do you think it all shakes out? I believe that uh, Jelly Bean Ellis might be the odd man out here in this situation. Um, he can play the nose, and maybe only Dalen Mack is the other one capable of doing that. So it, it, it's up for grabs in that situation. Dalen Mack was a five-star recruit in high school, uh, was really effective in ways at Texas A&M. He had a strange situation with playing time, but was effective when used, had a really great pressure rate. Um, I believe that you know those three guys between Brandon Williams, Ellis, and Dalen Mack are the only three that can play that nose position. So I don't see them carrying more than two of those. It feels like, as you were mentioning, the additions of Wolf, the additions of Campbell, um, some of the other guys, Ward being back as well. It feels like the Ravens might be going for a longer, taller, kind of lengthier approach to occupy more space, be able to make more plays uh, lengthwise, agility-wise, mobility-wise. So maybe they only carry two, and my money would be on Mac because he has to have more room to grow as a player who flashed in the SEC than is drafted by the Ravens and, you know, 
has potential to keep increasing. So I think it's easy to part ways with Jelly Bean Ellis. Um, as far as the three-tech position, it's going to be Wolf and Justin Matabuike. I believe Justin Matabuike has a really strong skill set. He kind of reminds me of Timmy Jernigan in ways with a little bit more kind of brute strength to him. Um, he does have the explosive get-off. He's a little bit even more compact and leaner than Jernigan. And he does have great length, 33 and a half inch arms, super strong, 31 bench reps, but he can clear out some space. He just struggles against double teams a little bit, but I think the Ravens are going to use him and try and make sure he's avoided. But if he's on the defensive line with Brandon Williams and with Calais Campbell at some point, things like that, he's not going to be the one that's going to end up being double teamed or there's going to be a damn problem. Um, so I think of the three tech, we're going to see a lot of Wolf, a little bit of Mataboyke. And Clay's Campbell will probably play there a good bit as well as he just kind of generally moves between the three tech, the five tech, all the way seven, nine, anything of the sort. Um, and then out to that five tech position, it's going to be Campbell. And then we're going to see Matabuike potentially there as well and Wolf moving around there as well. So I don't think there is a ton going on. Ward, I mean, there's just versatility all over. But as far as guys on the roster bubble, I would just really think Ellis. I think they want a big, fresh rotation of guys. It feels like Brandon Williams is going to be the nose for the most part. They're, they're going to want Wolf to stay fresh a little bit, maybe, as he is an older player, has had some injuries, had a dislocated elbow last year. And you don't want to see them do what they did with Pernell McPhee last year, who is back. And that's, you know, abuse the usage of him in the first month of the season and end up seeing him injured. So if the Ravens are able to learn their lesson because they have a little bit more depth at those positions now, they'll be good to go. But that is going to result. Let's say Derek Wolf ends up playing 60, 70 percent of snaps. I don't see him making it out of the bye week by that point in time without, you know, ending up on the IR. And then all of a sudden you got Matabuike probably playing a lot more three tech than he might be prepared to do. But then again, he could just kill it as a rookie and we will see. Yeah, the good thing about the Ravens is I do believe they know how to use that depth. And another position where they're going to have to know how to use their depth is at the inside linebacker position. Now, the Ravens obviously addressed the need by drafting both Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison in the 2020 draft. But then you have guys like LJ Fort, who was still on the roster, who really showed that he still had something left in the tank after being a midseason addition in 2019. Chris Board, Notara Alaka, two guys who are also, I feel forgotten in terms of being, you know, inside linebackers. When you look at this this inside linebacker group, Spencer, who do you think ends up starting in week one? And then where do the rest of the depth pieces figure to be on the depth chart? I believe that you see a three-man rotation mainly, and that's going to be between Queen, Fort, and Harrison. Fort has never played more than, I believe it was about 36% of defensive total snaps in a season. That was on the 2017 Steelers, if I'm not mistaken. And so LJ Fort is a good player. I like him in specific situations. And I worry that if he ends up, you know, being the anointed starter, and let's say he ends up playing 70, 80% of snaps, you see a similar situation to what happened to Patrick Owasso last year, where Owasso showed in 2018 that he was really great in that, you know, 40 to 50% snap role where you have his skill set in specific things. Whereas this past year, they relied on him to be a, you know, 100% snap player. And wasn't able to hold up, wasn't quite versatile enough, uh, didn't have his head on straight enough in the game to be able to do some of those things as, you know, a starting inside linebacker. So I believe Fort, you know, we could see him up around 50 percent somewhere in that ballpark. That would leave probably Queen. I think Queen does come off the field at times as a rookie. Um, he is only 20 years old. He will be 21 in July, I believe. 
and he only started, I think, 12 games in his college career. I know only eight this past year. Uh, so right around there. So, you know, he's going to take a lot of snaps. They viewed him as a first-round linebacker. They took him. But, you know, Malik Harrison, to me, is the guy that is going to play base defense. The Ravens just don't run a ton of base defense. I think they're only in a true base for about 11% of their snaps last year, as opposed to nickel and dime, which took up almost 80%. Um, Harrison is going to be able to do some things as far as kind of kicking out into an edge position a little bit, moving around. They're probably going to want to blitz him a lot in between the B-gaps, have him go rock offensive linemen and work some twists as well and and crowd the line of scrimmage and do things in the box, whereas Queen they're going to rely on on third down a little bit more in coverage. I think they'll rely on Fort maybe a little bit more – on third down in coverage than Harrison. Uh, But I could see Harrison ending up with about 50% of snaps as well. Uh, Fort, maybe 40% and then queen somewhere around, you know, 65, 75, maybe 80% if he really excels uh, something of the sort. So we'll see some kind of mix. It's interesting because the Ravens used two linebackers on about 50% of snaps last year. Uh, that number could go up with these additions as they invested some significant capital. And then that leaves just a little bit of room. And whether it's Jake Ryan, Otara Alaka, or Chris Board, Chris Board's made the team two times now. So they like what he can do. They consider him a serious special teams contributor. They've held on to guys like Albert McClellan, Anthony Levine for long periods of time if they can find that niche role. I haven't seen Board really stand out a ton during the year on special teams. I haven't really seen him mess up either, uh, so maybe that speaks volumes. But to me, Otara Alaka presents a lot more upside as a fourth defensive inside linebacker, and we'll see what he's able to do special teams-wise. I don't have a ton of knowledge to that, but he looked really smart in the preseason last year. Um, if it were me and I had to pick one today, I might pick Alaka. Jake Ryan, I feel like, is a cut. I feel like he's a veteran that they're just going to bring in to kick the tires and see, and it feels like those tires are pretty damn bald. Um, so for me, it's Otara Alaka. Yeah, I, th- I think that would be the right decision to, to to make sure that, you know, you can maximize the potential out of Alaka and not just give up on him just because he didn't have a chance to prove himself. And, I mean, he proved himself in the preseason last year. So giving him an extra set of, you know, an extra season, I think that would be a good thing for him. But, Spencer, finally, let's let's quickly get into the secondary because there's so much depth both, both at the cornerback and at the safety position. And, I mean, that will only get deeper if the Ravens do bring in Jamal Adams. But right now, there's... There is no Jamal Adams. How do you feel like the Ravens are going to utilize their cornerbacks and their safeties going into 2020? Brandon Carr last year took a lot of snaps in training camp in different looks, some in single high, some in two high as a safety, something he hadn't done a ton of previously, but obviously a veteran player, the obscene amount of starts in a row. I mean, has started every game of his entire career, never missed one. You know, you've got to be smart. And Jimmy Smith definitely has that knowledge. He's kind of the wild card there if he's going to end up taking some two high snaps and the occasional single high snap while we see Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark go down in the box or one of them up high with him or something of the sort. Um, Injuries do happen, as I've mentioned. Feels like Marcus Peters, they just made a huge investment in. They love what he can do. Uh, Jimmy has lost his sea legs just a little bit. He doesn't quite have the same explosive speed he used to when he was able to lock down the number one receiver for a lot of time. But we can see Jimmy Smith in that safety position. We can see him as a boundary corner that comes in, you know, to give Peters a break, things like that. Uh, So obviously Humphrey and Peters feels like they're going to be the dominant boundary players. So then that leaves Tavon Young in the slot. He's had two major injuries, one in his knee, one in his neck. The neck one really bothers me. 
Um, I'm worried about that one. I hope that he is well. I hope that all this time off is able to get him settled. He reminds me so much of Ladarius Webb and his kind of career path where Webb had a little bit more time before he got injured, but they're just, both of them were playmakers on the field. They make impact plays, recover fumbles, they're dangerous with the ball in their hands, you know, get interceptions, dive for the ball, uh, make some really astounding tackles in the backfield for a smaller guy. Uh, all of those things. Tavon Young is a very good slot corner. At one point, he was the highest paid slot corner, and the market got reset right after him with a couple other guys. But it it's, feels like you can't quite rely on him. So then the question becomes, let's say Tavon Young goes down, who goes into the slot? And do you want Marlon Humphrey playing in the slot again? He can do it. He proved that. He was a decent slot corner, but now you're taking one of the best boundary press man corners and making him play in the slot again. And that feels like it's a waste. Uh, really wasting his talent. Can Anthony Averick go do that? I don't terribly like the things that I've seen. He's been very inconsistent. Uh, maybe they can, I would, if I were the Ravens, I would really just stick him in that slot all through camp, make him man up in the slot all through preseason and do those things. And then the last guy is Amon Marshall, who in high school, they said, this guy's going to move to safety at USC. They said, this guy's going to move to safety. Still hasn't moved to safety. The Ravens didn't move him to safety yet either. So he can be in the mix there as well. I see him as another boundary guy. So really they're very thin at nickel, it feels like, in a way, without moving Marlon Humphrey. And if I'm a betting man, do you want to go bet – or if you're a betting man, do you want to go put all of your you know, credits in your account on Tavon Young playing 16 games at this point? Probably not. That's probably not a safe bet. So that's the question for me currently. Who's going to end up playing in the slot in the event that Tavon Young goes down? I don't hope that that happens, but it is definitely a strong possibility. Then moving to safety, the guy that I'm most excited about is not Geno Stone, who is a very exciting addition as well. But Deshaun Elliott is a guy that really is at a make or break point with the injuries. The first one was a fractured forearm. That one's damn unlucky. The next one's a knee injury that knocks him out right after he was just able to kind of crack into the defensive rotation, get some really good snaps and looked really good. So what are we going to see Deshaun Elliott do this year? Exactly how is he going to be able to stay healthy? If he does, where does he go? Does he make the rotation? He definitely would stand out on special teams. We've seen him do that. Um, But for me, he's a guy that can come in, provide depth, play some dimebacker, play some, you know, fun, different kind of looks, different personnel. Maybe he can go dabble in the slot a little bit. He can move around. And then we've got, obviously, Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark. We know what they are. Clark is going to grow a lot. He's going to continue growing. Last year was his first year starting. Gets the extension. There's a lot more comfortability, a lot more confidence that comes when you get that extension. You know, he's not fighting to crack in and make sure that he's going to make the team and all that stuff. He's going to be on the damn starting defense this year, and he knows that. He was the communicator. Did a lot of the great things for. Did a lot of great things for the defense uh, once he took over that green dot and was a solid player for sure. So I would expect a little bit of growth as Earl Thomas probably is going to decline just a little bit although he's going to pick up on the scheme a little bit more. He admitted that it was a very different scheme. Some things were troubling at first, but now he's going into year two of that. So while we might see him lose another step, he lost one step last year, might lose a second step. He might be a little bit quicker mentally. Um, So can he kind of do some of the things that Eric Weddle was able to do as far as deception, as far as uh, changing up where he was going to be, disguising his coverage, all that good stuff. We shall see. Um, Then Geno Stone feels like he's probably going to be, you know, on that roster bubble, the seventh round pick. Is he able to crack the special teams you know, unit and really stand out there? He had some killer hits at Iowa, a very smart player, very physical player, uh, great instincts, great plays on the ball, all of those things. But it's it's really going to be you know, Anthony Levine as well. He's going to be on special teams if he makes the roster. Feels like they're not going to disrespect him like that, bring him back through camp and then cut him again. But they did do that with Albert McClellan. 
Um, so we'll see. It's a three-man race there with Stone and Elliott and Levine. And it just feels like, can Elliott stay healthy? Is Levine going to be in good shape? And is Stone going to be able to see the field on defense at all? Those are all their questions. Um, I would anticipate them to carry probably Stone and Elliott before Levine. But I uh, do love Kocap. He has always been an excellent special teams player. And make sure that that unit is aligned, able to do a ton of stuff as you know the up back in punt coverage. All kinds of different things. So I'd like to see them keep Levine in an ideal world, but there's just so much depth at other places, it feels difficult. Yeah, and, and with Levine, he's somebody who is very important to the Ravens, not only on defense, but you mentioned his, his special team's prowess. It really is something that is underappreciated, I feel like. But I'm really on the Deshaun Elliott trade, and I think that he is going to be a force in 2020. But all in all, the Ravens have a lot of depth and a lot of places to kind of figure out who's going to make the team, who's going to play a lot. But depth is good, and it's a good problem to have if you're the Baltimore Ravens. But, Spencer, that's all that I have for you today. Thank you again for coming on the show. And content is the name of the game, and we will keep churning it out. Yes, sir. We're grinding through these dog days, and hopefully the end of uh, this pandemic situation comes around sooner rather than later. But make sure to go give Kevin five stars on iTunes and share it with a friend and all that good stuff. Appreciate you having me on, brother. And take it easy, listeners. Thanks, Spencer. When we get back... Tomorrow, we are going to be getting into more Ravens football talk, so stay tuned, and I will see you tomorrow.